Good morning, Bridges family. For many of us, life can be so hectic that we don't take time to think. Instead, we find ourselves constantly on the move, just reacting to situations. We have to decide right now, and so our decisions aren't, aren't always well thought out. So one of the few positive things that I've found about our current uh, state of isolation is that it gives me time to slow down and think, to think about and do some small things like cleaning my closet, hanging pictures, working on the backyard, but also to think about some, some big things like my future, my family, our church. And, and the thing that I've really been thinking about the most is my relationship with God, spending time in His Word, thinking more about who He truly is, thinking about what He's done for me and what He, what he has for the remainder of my life. I mean, I'm, I'm 56, approaching middle age, so I, I need to figure this stuff out, right? I've, been all, I've also been drawn to Paul's admonition to the church in Philippi. Finally, brothers, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's been nice to stop and think about the true, beautiful, positive things that God has created, that, that He's instructed us in His Word, and that He's blessed my life with. So, so my point is that, that as Christians, we're to be uh, thinkers. We're to consider things. We're to ponder, evaluate the world around us. We're to think about, uh, meditate even on God's, God's Word. And we're also to think about ourselves, not in a selfish way, but in a biblical way. This is what our passage for today, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, is all about. In it will be asked, even commanded, to think about yourself. And so let, let me ask uh, Jackson Rickard if he could read the passage for us this morning. Thanks, Jackson. Now, before we think about ourselves, we need to first think about the context of this command. Just prior to this command, uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we received uh, two other, uh, what we're calling foundational commands. Paul writes, Romans 12, uh, 1, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Beginning in Romans 12, Paul is making an appeal to his Christian brothers and sisters, an appeal based on the mercies of God, those mercies that he described uh, in great detail in chapters 1 through 11. And, and his first appeal or command is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. We are commanded as our spiritual service, or, or as we talked about, our reasonable service, to give ourselves fully to God, to sacrifice our very lives for His purposes. Lives that because of His mercies, uh, because of the sacrifice of His Son for the forgiveness of our sins, uh, our lives are now holy and acceptable to God. So that's the first foundational commandment. And the second is, do not be conformed to this world. Do not follow after the patterns of this world. Patterns that are under the influence, the control of sin and Satan. Do not look to the world for guidance, for direction. Do not think or act like the world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the power of God's Spirit, who, who, who uses God's Word to renew our minds, to renovate the way we think, 
to renovate the way we understand things, we are gradually, it's a process, being transformed from those who are conformed to the patterns, the ways of thinking and acting of this world, to the ways and of thinking and acting of Jesus Christ. Why? So that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As our minds are being renewed and we are being transformed into the image of Christ, as, we're, as we become more aligned with Christ, this enables us to think and understand and to live out the will of God. Our transformation gives us the ability to do what is good and acceptable and perfect in God's sight. So that's a review of the two foundational commands that Paul gives. That's the immediate context for what comes next in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 and following. And if you think about it, these two commands that we just talked about, that we've talked about for several weeks, if you think about these commands, you'll see that if obeyed, they are pretty all-encompassing, pretty complete. They really define uh, what's involved in responding to God's mercy. They, they tell us what is needed to live the Christian life. Really, they tell us everything. I mean, if we actually give ourselves fully to God, if we no longer conform ourselves to the patterns of this world, if we stop thinking and acting like the world, if we reject its sinful and satanic influence, and if our minds are renewed by the Word, and we're being transformed by the Spirit into the image of Jesus Christ, then discerning or, or thinking and embracing and doing the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God will be the natural outcome. So what else remains to be said? Why doesn't Paul just end the letter right here? Why doesn't he say, uh, just do it? and just move on to his conclusion. Again, don't these two commands cover everything we need to live the Christian life? Well, apparently not. Because Paul doesn't end the letter in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Instead, he, he gets very practical and specific about what we're to do and not do. Even how we're to think and not think. For example, in verse 9 of chapter 12, he, he commands, let love be genuine. Abhor what, is, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Paul gives specific commands about how we're to love, uh, how we're to think about good and evil. But why? If I've presented myself to God, if I'm not conforming to the world, if I'm being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, won't uh, my love, like Christ, naturally be genuine? Won't, won't, won't I think like Christ about evil? Won't I abhor evil as Christ does? And won't I, like Christ, hold fast to what is good? So why does Paul spend most of the rest of this letter, five chapters, detailing specific ways that we as Christians are to act and think and even feel? Well, I believe the answer to this question can provide us with important insight into who we are as Christians. And since today we're going to be thinking about ourselves, I want to make sure we understand who we truly are. I want, I want you to think about your reborn nature. That's our first point, your reborn nature. In John chapter 3, Jesus speaking to the Pharisee named Nicodemus says, Verily, truly, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
Jesus then, in, in this same chapter, goes on to describe this, this born again, what it means, this rebirth that takes place in the lives who trust in Him. He describes it as being born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual rebirth, a, a spiritual transformation and, and renewal. If you've trusted in Christ, if you've presented yourself to God, then you receive the Spirit of God and your nature is forever changed. Who you are is changed. This understanding is so important and foundational to the Christian life because it's when we understand our rebirth, who we now are in Christ, that we can not only think of ourselves in the right way, but we can become who God truly wants us to be. We become by the Spirit's power, who God instructs us to be. And those instructions, many of them are found in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 and following, and really much of, much of the Bible. Now, thinking about our reborn nature as Christians is a huge undertaking. There are books written on this subject. But for our purposes, I just want to briefly highlight a few things that will help us as we move forward into, into these practical instructions. They, they help explain why we, even though we have these two foundational commands of Romans 12, 1 and 2, why we still need these detailed instructions of Romans uh, 12, 3 and following. So first, on the one hand, when we come to faith in Christ, when you give your life to Jesus, everything changes. You as Jesus said, experience a spiritual rebirth. Your nature changes. Paul makes this very clear in his second letter to the church of Corinth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Those who are born again become, they, they are new creatures in Christ. We are in Christ, and therefore God views us as He views Christ. We receive what Christ receives, and, and we're justified. Our sins are forgiven, and we're declared righteous. We enter into relationship with God. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive a spiritual rebirth. So on the one hand, the old pass is passed away, and behold, the new nature has come. But on the other hand... Because of our reborn nature, not in spite of it, but because of it, we now find ourselves in a battle with sin. Before our rebirth, there was no battle because we were on the side of sin. But now we can, we can and must fight to rid ourselves our, uh, of our old life, our old patterns of thinking, our old self, and live in our new life, to live as born-again believers, we saw this throughout our study in, in Romans chapter one, first, chapters 1 through 8. With verses like Romans 6, uh, 12 and 13. To the Christian, to the one who's experienced spiritual rebirth, uh, to this new creation in Christ, Paul writes, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Because we've been born again, because we're new creatures in Christ, we can, we can now make daily choices to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. 
we can, in the power of the Spirit, not present ourselves to sin, not conform to this world, but instead we can present ourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. So with our reborn nature, there are now choices that we can make, daily choices between presenting yourself to sin, conforming to this world, or presenting yourself to God and being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's here that we can understand why Paul uh, doesn't end the letter to the church in Rome at verse 2 of chapter 12. Because presenting yourself to God and not being conformed to this world and, and experiencing transformation by the renewal of your mind is now possible. But it's not a one-time decision. It's a way of life. And as we talked about last week, our transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, it's a process. It's an ongoing work of God in our lives. And that work happens as we submit to God's Spirit in obedience to God's Word. And so beginning in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, we find instructions from God's Word. Instructions that because of our reborn nature, we can now obey. And as we obey these instructions, the Spirit will bring about a renewed mind. The Spirit will bring about transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul does, doesn't, does not only gives us this general overall instruction found in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, but he goes into detail, say, saying now, this is what it looks like to present yourselves to God, to not conform to the world and to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is what it's going to look like, guys. This is the will of God for you. This is what is good and acceptable and perfect Here's God's will for you. I'm going to lay it out. So yes and amen, you are a new creature in Christ. God places you in Christ and views you as Christ and declares you righteous as Christ. And He gives you this new reborn nature, a nature that enables you to be, be in this process of becoming like Christ. So let me summarize our reborn nature in this way. And this may seem paradoxical to some, but, but it's what we find in Scripture. Our nature, the nature of being a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, is this. For the glory of God, the Christian life is the process of becoming who you already are in Christ. I know I just threw in the, the glory of God part. I hadn't mentioned it before. But we need to remember that, that all of this that all of what we're studying is about, the, is about God and His glory. The bottom line is, we are to live for the glory of God. We are to live to make God look great, to look glorious. And it's when we're submitting to the process of becoming who you already are in Christ that God is most glorified in you. And to aid that process of glorifying God by becoming who you already are in Christ. We are given the Spirit of God, and we're given the Word of God. We're given the, the Word of God to renew our mind, and, and by the Spirit's power, transform us into the image of Christ, into who we are. And that brings us to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, where for the glory of God, the Word of God calls us to think about your right status. Think about your right status. 
This is the first step in the process of of having this renewed mind, of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. If, If a renewed mind, if renewed thinking is the key to being transformed into the image of Christ, then we need to begin by thinking rightly about ourselves. So Paul begins his practical instruction for living the Christian life with these uh, transforming words. He says, For by the grace given to me, Paul prefaces what he's about to write by letting his readers know that it's only because of God's grace given to him that he can say what he's about to say. Paul, before coming to Christ, was an arrogant, self-important person. But by God's grace given to him, he says, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. To not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Notice Paul wants to make sure we understand that this applies to everyone. There may be sinful ways of thinking, of acting, that some have and others don't. Some may be prone to greed and materialism. Others may be prone to sexual sin, while others may be prone to sloth or or laziness. But everyone, each and every one of us, is prone to think of himself or herself more highly than they ought to think. Now, what does it mean to think more highly of yourself than you ought? Well, it doesn't mean to not think about yourself at all. We have a built-in, I believe, God-given desire to care for, to love ourselves. Jesus doesn't instruct us not to love ourselves. In in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, giving giving us the second greatest commandment, second only to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving ourselves is, is really a given. So yes, we are to think about our own welfare. The problem is that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Because of the fall, because of sin, we've taken uh, thinking about ourselves to to dangerous extremes. We've become self-centered, self-loving, self-righteous creatures. That's the nature that we're born with. You don't have to teach a child to cry when they don't get what they want. When my two-year-old grandson brings me the TV remote control and says, uh, ba, 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 which means, uh, Grandpa, I want you to uh, put Batman the Lego movie on for me, please. If I don't use the remote to give him exactly what he desires, then uh, there's trouble. From birth, we're prone to think uh, that we are the center of the universe. We're prone to think it's all about me. We're prone to evaluate every circumstance in, in terms of how it affects me. Not caring, uh, uh, certainly caring less about how it affects other people. I don't care if you're watching the football game, Grandpa. I want Batman. The world is saying that that one of our greatest challenges, uh, uh, the the greatest challenges that people face today is low self-esteem. And this is a good example of where we should not conform to the pattern of our world. Because the Bible teaches that the real problem is self-centeredness. Putting yourself above others. Thinking you are better than others. That you are more important than others. That your needs need to be met before others. This is, I believe, what it means to think of yourself more highly than you ought ought to think. To think of yourself only or first, above, or better than others. 
We are, I am, you are prone to exaggerate our own importance, our own abilities, our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our own understanding. We are prone to to not only think more highly of ourselves, but to want others to think highly of us as well. And what Paul is saying is that we must always be on the lookout for this danger. We no longer need to think this way. We have a, a new nature We've been reborn. We can be transformed. We can change the way we think about ourselves. Not too highly, but to think with sober judgment. That's how Paul continues. But to think not, high, not too highly of yourself, but to think with sober judgment. That phrase, sober judgment, is one word in the Greek, and it means to be in right or sound mind. To be sober-minded. Paul's calling us to think rightly, uh, realistically, accurately about ourselves. He's saying that we need to accept who we are. We need to accept who we're not. We need to accept what we can do and what we cannot do. We can't look at ourselves through rose-colored glasses. We have to face the fact that our parents weren't totally honest uh, with us when they said, honey, uh, you're the most special person in this world. You can do anything. You can do anything you want. You only have to put your mind to it. We need to admit our our weaknesses, but we also need to understand our strengths. Paul isn't really uh, talking uh, here about humility, although that does play a part. And he's not saying that we don't have to think about ourselves at all. He's saying that we need to think rightly about, about ourselves. We need to acknowledge what we're good at and what we can do, Uh, we are to think straight about ourselves, neither too low or too high. Because it's when when we have this proper understanding of ourselves that we are better able to serve others. And that's where Paul's taking us. That's where he's leading us. He will call us to a different way of thinking. We are prone to think of ourselves first and foremost. But Paul is calling us instead to, to, and this is our third point this morning, to think about your relationship to one another. Think about how you relate to other believers, other Christians specifically. And the first thing we find is that we receive the same faith. Notice as soon as Paul says, but to think, uh, but to think with sober judgment, he adds, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each of us is to think rightly about ourselves, and our thinking, our sober judgment, is according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, now what does that mean? It's not, it's not super easy to understand this. Well, one thing is clear. It is God who assigns us with this measure of faith. The faith we have is given to us by God. But what is less clear is this phrase, measure of faith. Most people have thought that measure of faith means uh, the amount of faith you have. That Paul is saying that that our sober judgment of ourselves, who we are, what we do, what we can do, what we can't do, depends on the amount of faith that God has given us. And that implies that God gives some people more faith uh, than he gives others. And therefore, even if we accomplish much, We shouldn't think highly of ourselves because it's God who's given us more faith to accomplish much. And there may be some truth in that. But it seems to me and to others that there is a more accurate way to understand this phrase, uh, measure of faith. 
a way that fits more clearly into the context of thinking rightly about yourself. Instead of measure of faith being, uh, meaning the amount of faith you have, it could also mean uh, standard faith, the standard of faith. I say this because the Greek word uh, measure is, is metron, which, which we get our word meter for. And it probably means a standard measurement, not an amount of th- that's being measured. So what I think Paul is saying is we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but instead think rightly with sober judgment because God has given each of us the same standard faith to believe. We're all saved in the same way, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that standard faith to believe was given to each of us by God. That means we need, first of all, to realize that we are all uh, in the same boat. Regardless of our background, our abilities, our gifts, etc., we are all saved in Christ. God loves us equally in Christ. Don't think more highly of yourself compared to others, because God doesn't. Another way to say it, the gospel uh, prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. You and I, like all believers, were sinners by nature. That was our, our nature. All our efforts to save ourselves only earned uh, judgment. We were saved. Uh, we were reborn. We received this reborn nature. We were transformed entirely by the kindness of another, by the kindness of God. We are all saved by the same grace, the grace of God through the same faith in Jesus Christ, faith that each one of us received from God. So we have no reason to think we're better than anyone else. We're saved in the same way by the same God-given faith as every other believer. We need to get that right thinking into our head first and foremost, because now Paul's going to move forward. He said we're the same. We have the same faith. But now he's going to talk about how we're different. Paul goes on to say that even though we have the same faith, we perform different functions. In verse 4, Paul calls us to to a much different way of thinking about ourselves. We tend to to think in individual terms. We tend to think about me and, and maybe a little out for me, maybe my family, close friends. But Paul uses the analogy of the body and he writes, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. We're part of the same body, but we perform different functions. Beginning in verse 6, Paul will list some of these different functions, or or gifts as we call them. That's that's what we'll look at next week. But for now, I want us to see that we're, we're to think of ourselves as having distinct gifts and abilities within the body of Christ. In other words, yes, we have the same faith, but we also have, uh, we, we, we're also different from one another. We're not, we're not clones. We're, we're the same in our standing in the gospel, in our relationship with God, but we are different in our varied abilities to minister to the world and to one another. Paul says to the Ephesians that every person who is saved by grace through faith, that we are his God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have each uh, been given distinct personalities, temperaments, 
histories, uh, abilities, and these differences are used by God to equip us for a particular set of good works, tailored to each individual. Paul describes this in greater detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. Again, this image of a body prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. We need all the parts. We need every member of our church, of the body of Christ. And it also helps us not to think more lowly of ourselves than we ought. Because the other members of the body need us. As we'll see next week, we have different gifts, and all the gifts are needed. So so we have the same faith, but different function, different gifts, and these functions are all needed. However, because we're prone to pride, we're prone to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, we tend to value some functions above others. We know they're all needed, but we tend to think ours are more needed, right? So prior to talking about the individual functions or gifts, Paul wants to emphasize that we belong to the same family. Or in sports terms, which, which, which I'm really missing right, right about now, we are all on the same team. In verse 5 we read, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now I know Paul doesn't use the word family here, He's still uh, using the body illustration analogy. But I needed another F word. And the fact that he says that, that in Christ, we not only form one body, but that each member belongs to all the others, that says to me that we are family. And in any healthy family, each member is concerned for the well-being of everyone else, maybe even, hopefully even, above themselves. It's for the family that we're willing to sacrifice, to give ourselves, to to think of others first. And Paul is saying, we belong to one another. We're family. Let's think for a moment what this means practically. Paul has already said that we belong to God. We're to present ourselves to God as, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. And now he's saying that we belong to one another as well. We are part of the same body, the body of Christ. As we each present ourselves to God, as we each come under the headship of Jesus Christ, we become members of of His body, the same body. Christ is the head. We are the body. We share His purposes. We share His, His mission and goals. We must be united together in the purpose of bringing the glory of God uh, to this world by representing Him wherever we go. We need to be in relationship with one another, uh, or the body cannot function as it was designed. We need to respond to one another. Uh, we are family We're a team, and we belong to one another. Now, some people are not comfortable with this. They say that they they love Christ, but they really can't stand the church. 
They, they may go to church sometimes, but they hang in the back. Uh, they don't really want uh, relationships with other believers. These uh, online services are actually a dream come true for them. Now, I understand that the church is made up of people, and people who don't always do the Christ-like thing. We say, uh, what would Jesus do? And then we do what we want to do instead. And, and because of that, there are wrongs that happen. There are hurts that happen uh, inside the church. But if we're in relationship with Christ, then, then we're to be in relationship with one another. We're called to work through those wrongs, those hurts that happen uh, among people among imperfect, uh, yet imperfect people. We are called not only to be in relationship with Jesus, but to be in relationship with one another. What if, what if my wife, Christina, were to come to me and say, uh, Cliff, I really love you, but I, I can't stand your body. I prefer you from the neck up. Now that make, might make some sense in my case, but, 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 but it still wouldn't go over well. My body, for better or for worse, is part of me. If you're going to be in relationship with me, then you're going to be in relationship with all of me, my head and below. And we, the church, are the body of Christ. If we're going to be in relationship with Christ, then we must be in relationship with one another. We belong to one another. It can't really be much more clear than that. That's why, even in the midst of our isolation, we continue at Bridges to emphasize our, our small groups. If we belong to one another, if we're part of the body of Christ, called to come together for His purposes, then we need to develop relationships. We need to study uh, God's Word together. We need to pray together. We need to hear uh, uh, from one another, testimonies from one another. We need to understand one another's lives. What's going on with you? And let me just end, getting close to the end, with one uh, biblical example of what this looks like and one practical application during this difficult time in our world. The example is found in Acts chapter 2. This is what it looks like to belong to one another. Beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now this passage is a great picture of, of what it means to belong to one another. They went to church and a small group together. They worshiped and studied the word together. They ate together and they shared their possessions one with another. And as we close this morning, this, this is where I want to focus our attention. As, most, as mostly middle class Americans going to church with other middle class Americans, being with people who don't have, uh, usually have great financial or physical needs, 
This having all things in common, uh, this selling of possessions to meet the needs of others can seem distant or not really applicable in our situation. But right now, our situation is changing. Like in the early, early church, there are some who have, uh, some among us who are still receiving paychecks. Our finances haven't been affected by, by these shutdowns. But there are others who are experiencing or who, who will experience a financial hardship. And so because we are, because we have a reborn nature, we can now think rightly about our own status. We can think not just about ourselves and our needs, but, we, but the needs of one another. Knowing that we've received uh, the same faith in Jesus Christ, that God has given each one of us the same faith, knowing that we have different functions, and right now we have different resources, and knowing that we belong to one another, we are the body of Christ. We're the family of God, and therefore we are to care for one another. We, uh, those who still have, are to make sure that the needs of those in the body of Christ are being met. And so with that in mind, I'd, I'd call you, I'd call those of you who have needs. And here I'm speaking, uh, I know this video could be seen by anybody, but I'm speaking specifically to our church, to the members, regular attended, attenders of Bridges Church. If you're suffering financially because of these shutdowns, then let us know. We're your family, and it's our desire to, to help. And I'd also call those of us who haven't lost jobs or hours or income, I'd call on us to be aware of those in our body with needs, to be willing to, to have all things in common, to be willing to meet the needs of one another uh, during this difficult time. So now very practically, if you have needs or, or know of others in the body who have needs, let us know. Or if you'd like to help meet needs, Share with those in need. Let us know that as well. And the best way to do that uh, currently is to email the church office, getting very practical here, at, at office at bridgesonline.org. As we move forward during this difficult time, we move forward not alone, but we move forward together as the body of Christ, the family of God, belonging to God, belonging to Jesus Christ, belonging to one another, the body of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much. Lord, you've given us so much. You gave us Jesus, and he died for us and, and saved us. You gave us the faith to believe in him. You give us uh, righteousness, a new nature. You transform us. You do so much for us. And then you give us the body of Christ. You give us people. You give us relationships with with those who also trust in you. And you call us to be together, to share this life together. And so I pray we would do that. I pray for those now that are experiencing difficulties, needs, Lord, that, that we would be aware of those and that we would be able to help, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, Lord, that we would reach out and, and meet the needs, that we, we would share with one another as the body of Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.